Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. I'm reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. September 8th, 1978, Cindy and I got married in Holland, Michigan. And our plan for our honeymoon was to travel from Holland down to Key West, where we had a trailer. I'm a baller all the way. We had a trailer that we were going to be able to stay in right on the water down there. And so we traveled uh, east and south a little bit from Holland. We went through Battle Creek, Michigan. Literally, I said as we were driving, it smells like cornflakes here. I don't know if you know, but Kellogg's, uh, their home is in Battle Creek. And then we noticed that that was the city. That's a true story. Ask Cindy about that. And then eventually we connected with I-75 and we're heading down through Cincinnati and we thought we would spend the night there. Unfortunately, uh, that evening, the Cincinnati Reds were playing and we also found out that there was a huge dentist convention. So there were no hotels available. In fact, we kept stopping on exits as we got to the outskirts of Cincinnati and there were still no openings. Eventually we found a really bad hotel in Horse Park, Kentucky. Uh, No uh, offense to anyone who is from Kentucky. I have relatives that live there now, but it wasn't the ideal hotel. And all that is to say that because of my poor planning as a young man getting married, we ended up traveling without any reservations in hotels. And from the very first night, we started to encounter problems with finding vacancies. So the point of that story is to let you know that Cindy and I have very much in common with Mary and Joseph. Basically, we both hit uh, uh, the world that we were heading through at the very worst time. So in a day of reservations for hotels and hotel apps, we really don't experience the no vacancy sign anymore. So what was going on at this time? So a little context. We know that Caesar decrees that a census is necessary. And there is no internet, there's no email, there's no survey monkey. So people have to return to the town of their birth in order to register 
for the census. And this is an extra bitter pill since it, they gain nothing by doing this. This is simply for Rome and its purposes, but people like Mary and Joseph, they pay the price. And to say that this is a hassle or an inconvenience or costly would be a monumental understatement. One scholar I read in studying this said, we have no idea how difficult this was. Their travel was expensive, it was difficult, and it was dangerous. To travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem is 90 miles if you go by foot. It is a grueling up and down route. And likely they would have traveled only about 10 miles a day since Mary is somewhere around nine months pregnant at the time. It is the worst time of the year to travel through the Judean desert. It's winter, so at night it's freezing and often it rains. And travelers, as they went through the Jordan Valley, they would face survival threats caused by wild animals like lions and bears and wild boars. And as they got into the more remote areas of the desert, uh, they faced what were called desert pirates who ambushed travelers along their travel routes. The hardships didn't even end for Mary and Joseph when they arrived in Bethlehem. Under normal circumstances, they could have expected to stay in the bedroom of a family member or a relative in some way, or even another Jewish family. And you know, we've all gone on these trips where you have this like really hard travel day, but usually have something to look forward to. I'm gonna arrive at my condo in Kauai, or you know, we're gonna be in this nice hotel. And so even though you're going through the travel day, you have this nice soft bed and relaxing time waiting you. They had none of that. I remember uh, my kids and a lot of their friends, they, they go on these mountain bike trips to Colorado where they go hut to hut. They go out into the wilderness and they ride all day and then they stop in some hut that's stacked, uh, uh, stocked with food and drinks and stuff and they spend a night and they do about three or four nights of that just traveling out in the wilderness on mountain bikes. And that trip always ends at this really swanky hotel. I mean, every room has its own jacuzzi. It's all part of the package. Mary and Joseph have none of that because this is a massive movement of the population. Think the second week of summer traveling after school lets out, if you can remember a normal summer vacation. Everybody has family in town and the poor have limited housing. There's no VRBO, there's no call ahead, there's no cell phones, it's just show up and hopefully something is awaiting you. When they finally reached their destination after this long and difficult journey, Luke's gospel tells us there is no guest room available. There's no place to stay. And scholars tell us that likely where they were placed in a stable was not just a little barn, but it was probably a cave, either naturally occurring or dug out Uh, of a hillside and they're in this cold and damp cave because there is no room. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard sermons uh, as you grew up about the inn owner. Uh, And you you get the picture that he kicks Mary and Joseph to the curb like the soup Nazi. No room for you. But that's all possible that that non-vacancy 
availability is intentional. But the reality is it's more feasible that the inn is just full. The reality is that not just the inn was full, but the innkeeper's schedule, his situation, his life. Think about the chaos of having a full inn at a time when so many travelers has, have descended upon the city. The reality is that it was only a very small band of people who were even looking for Messiah at the time. The reality is that a newborn who is alleged to be the Jewish Messiah wasn't going to make primetime news in anybody's life. You had the Roman Empire. Did they care? No. Jewish tradition? No. The multi-god culture of the day? No. And and the cultural view of many of the pagan world in that day of whatever blows your hair back, do your thing, hedonism, they aren't looking for Messiah either. And you know, that got me to thinking about the cultural moment that we're in in the United States of America. Even this valley, this hometown valley that we're in. And there are many parallels to the cultural setting that Jesus is born in to our day and time. In how many places in our world today is Jesus a non-factor? I'm not saying anti-Jesus, just not really a factor, simply a factor among many others. And sometimes, isn't it true, even for Christians, how much of a factor is Jesus today in the Christian community? Like so many of us, there is no room, perhaps not intentionally. I mean, we're Christians after all, but there's just no space in our lives to fit them in, in the moment, the day, our week, the month, or our lives. The inn is full and our lives are full and our calendar is stacked and our schedule is packed. Right now, as I left my office to come down to the worship center to record this message. On my phone app, the calendar app, there's that little red circle that has a number in it that tells you the number of pending invitations to calendar events that are pending for you, not ones of your own making, but of others. Mine already had nine and I had justified it already this morning. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17, he says that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. The truth is that Christ does make his home in our hearts. I love Paul's language here. He makes his home in our hearts if we invite him in. And many of you listening or watching, you, you've done that. You've done it sincerely. But don't you think that sometimes, even though we have him in our hearts, he finds it awfully crowded in there? I wonder if even at times he doesn't think he's living with hoarders. You see, making room for Jesus is an intentional act. It requires intentional thinking, intentional planning, intentional doing. 
Many of you, like me right now, you're committing, kind of committing in your mind that when the holidays are over, you're going to lose that 10 pounds. No, we're not. Not with all the commercials that are still bombarding us and all, with all the treats that are still going to be in the house. Even if you have a fruitcake, it's like, likely to be eaten. None of us are going to lose 10 pounds on accident. Some of us are saying, soon as this holiday is over, I'm going to put these decorations away. For sure, I'm going to get them done before uh, school starts back up again. Even Cindy's probably hearing that and putting it on my calendar, the number is 10 now because it has to be intentionally done, doesn't it? Unless we set a day to do it, isn't it true that the holidays just kind of slip through and we can find other things to do and our Christmas lights are still hanging up in February? How do we intentionally make room for Jesus? Well, first of all, can I just say that we could start by just reading the Christmas story found here in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And I would encourage you, even, even if Christmas is spent alone, read it out loud, because that's the way the early Christians, the first century Christians would heard it. Very rarely would they have actual, an actual copy. They would gather and somebody would read it. Read it to yourself. If you have friends that gather, read it with them. If you have family, gather your family together sometime on Christmas and read Luke 2 1 through 20. Kids, if you're listening right now, can you tug on mom or dad's shirt and say, can we do that? Then after you've done that, determine that this year is going to be different. We're all hoping that it's different, right? But I mean intentionally different. Determine that you are going to make room for Jesus in your end in your home, in your heart, in your schedule, in your life. And in doing so, you're gonna make some other things wait. Here's what we can do to intentionally make room for Jesus. Number one, establish a regular habit of being with Jesus. All I mean by that is set aside regular time to be with Jesus, and I mean more than your Bible. I mean specifically with Jesus. Some of us could read the Gospels this year. Make that a goal. I'm going to read through the Gospels. How about read through the Sermon on the Mount every month for 12 months this coming year? Or even memorize some of the key things that Jesus said when he was summarizing the teachings that he brought to the world, like the golden rule. In Matthew 7, verse 12, we're going to be looking at this particular passage in just a few short weeks. So in everything, do to others what you have done, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Could we not memorize that in a group with our kids and our families and let that be a guiding light for us in spending regular time with Jesus or maybe some of us could memorize the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said in Matthew, again, 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And another way to spend regular time with Jesus is to reprioritize being with his people. In whatever way that happens, whether it's in a gathering with masks or whether it's outside in one big service, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So one way to spend time with Jesus is to be with your church. The Barna Group came out with a study uh, that they, they looked at the first uh, three to four months of the COVID pandemic. And here's what they found, that only one third of regular church-going people were still engaged in going to church in some way or fashion. And another third were watching online only. And that's kind of been our experience here as well. We know that many of you are watching at home, but here's the alarming part. One third of regular church-going people have not only stopped attending church regularly, but even following along with their church online. Disappointing that they won't even hear this message unless you send it to them, that's a hint. That percentage or number is much higher among our younger generation, as is for those that have given up on church. They have also much higher numbers when it comes to anxiety and boredom. So, spending regular time with Jesus is to give him his place in our hearts. We might have to move some stuff around so he can have some room. We might have to rearrange the furniture of our lives just like we do in a physical way in our homes so that he can have room. And then as you give him space in your heart, number two, pursue becoming like Jesus spending time with Jesus, but also pursue becoming like him because that is the goal, right? Of reading and spending time with Jesus that we would become like him. It is a cause and effect relationship. It's not just about knowing scripture or going through a daily ritual that makes us feel better. It's about who we are becoming we are working on a lot of things right now in this world. Do you know that 57% uh, of the households in America have spent a minimum of $2,000 this year or during COVID on a home improvement project? In fact, our home center sales are up 23% and they are the leading retailers during the pandemic, except for a few exceptions of online purchasing. And you, beyond even, and I, beyond even our home renovations we've been busy with, we are busy with our careers in new ways, right? And education and promotion, moving ahead and finding a way to do sports, which basically means to travel to another state these days, uh, spending time with our kids, being a dad or a mom, could we start to also think about becoming like Jesus? 
and reflecting in our lives how all the pieces are coming together in our lives so that our character could be influenced to be more like Jesus. You know, we've had um, a lot to talk about in recent months in this country, but I am determined, and I hope that you are as well, to intentionally start talking about the ways Jesus is changing me or needs to change me. That's something that even, even a pastor needs to be more intentional about among all the other topics that we spend time gabbing about. And when we do, we just have to keep working on it because following Jesus is not a destination you arrive at. It's a pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. And as we travel, we travel with others. If I am spending time with Jesus and pursuing Christ-likeness, then last, I should be doing what Jesus did. You see, Jesus didn't call us to just have faith or to study faith or to think faith or to talk faith. We're called to do faith. Be on a mission to help people find and follow Jesus. Deepen your faith in other people's as well. And then find ways to bring hope to our world and to live love. Serve others as Jesus did and your church, which is the physical representation of Christ in the world today. Give generously, act, love, be for something, not just against something. Love your people hard. And as we've been, and as we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount, love the hard people. Following Jesus isn't just a mental agreement with a creed or sitting around talking about that or even posting about it, believe it or not. Jesus actually said that those who believe in him will do even greater things than he did. And here we are at the end of 2020. It's almost done. In 2021, it's just a few days ahead. And none of us know what it's going to be like. But if we've learned anything, we have learned that we do not control the world. Anything can happen. And these last months for everyone, have felt squishy and slippery. And we've all had our moments in this time of hectic, chaotic experiences. Sometimes we've responded and sometimes we've reacted. We've all had our moments, but not every moment has been a shining one, right? It's a lot like the first Christmas. There's plenty to distract. There's a lot to be busy about. And without Jesus in these times, we can become dry and apathetic, unengaged, missing in action. And I think this is a good time for us to recalibrate on that, to recalibrate for life following Jesus because we need something more solid today than we ever have before. 
so does our community and our friends and our workplace. Because 2020 happened, we know that 2021 could also be crazy or not. Either way, don't we want Jesus in it with us? We want to experience it with him. And for what happens to shape us into being more like him. And we want to see people, we want people to see him in us. In a year of turbulence, confusion, and upheaval, one thing remains constant. It is Jesus. But in order for that to be so, we'll have to make room for him. Merry Christmas, Sunridge. I want to pray for you, your friends, and your family, and then we're done. God, during this Christmas season, I pray that you would touch those of us who are part of Sunridge, that you would touch us in a way that makes us realize how much we need you, that you would show us, like, remind us how grateful we are because you are our Savior, and our Lord, and our Messiah. And I pray that that faith would take hold in our lives in a way that maybe it didn't for all of us recently. Allow us to recalibrate and set our sights on following you more sincerely and passionately and follow more and harder than we ever have before because we need it and the world needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Sunridge, I want to, as I close, I just want to like bring out two things. Number one is January 3rd, we're going to be right back at the Sermon on the Mount, right here outside 1030 uh, service, one big service. And if you missed our Christmas Eve service, we've done our best to capture it on audio. And we know that a lot of you still can't, you're still not comfortable coming and being a part of a large gathering. And we, we just want to let you know that it's, it's up online and you can listen to the music and the message as well. God bless you, Sunridge. Merry Christmas. Hey, everybody. It's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.